0: Now, I know you might be a little bit worried right now. You're looking at the time going, wait, we're just now starting the sermon. Don't worry, it'll be brief. Something that really stuck out to me in the midst of that was Rod Stark and the decision that he was facing. Is Christmas about the shopping? Is it about that sort of thing? Or is Christmas about this seemingly irrelevant child that was born 2,000 years ago? And he was faced with that decision, and decisions are hard. I know a lot of you have probably faced difficult decisions in your life. Big decisions can be hard, but even small decisions can be difficult as well. I know there's probably a lot of couples that have experienced the, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? I don't know, what do you want to have for dinner? I don't know, what do you want to have for dinner? And sometimes you're surprised that we don't starve to death. (laughs) Decision-making can be difficult, and we're going to see a particularly tough decision that one person in the Bible has to make. And uh, we're going to find out a little bit more about that as we dig into it. So we are going to be in Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 today. This is, it's also on page 807 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And uh, this is the Christmas story in the book of Matthew. And it's surprising because as you, as we read through it, you'll notice that the main character is not Jesus. The main character is not even Mary. And he called his name Jesus. If we go back to the beginning of this passage, we see the main idea of what this whole thing is about. It says there at the beginning, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is all about Jesus' birth. But as I mentioned before, the main character here isn't about Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, it still is about Jesus. But the main character isn't Mary either. The main character that we find here is Joseph. We're introduced to both Mary and Joseph here. It says his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. There's something important to point out here if you didn't know this already. Their engagement, their betrothal back then was different than it is now. Now it's, um, there's no strings attached. And so if you decide to break up after you've gotten engaged, it's no big deal. But back then it was a much more serious thing. It's actually like you had taken your marriage vows already. You'd already signed the marriage certificate, but you hadn't become physically married yet. You weren't living together. You hadn't become physically intimate yet. And so... Both of those aspects are really important as we continue in the story here. So we know about Mary and Joseph, but now, right away, we get to the problem in the story. We get to the conflict that's going on. It says this, before they came together, like I just mentioned, not physically intimate yet, she was found to be with child. We don't know exactly how this happens. It doesn't seem like she told Joseph, though. It seems like he found it out. Maybe as the months went by, she started to grow, she had the baby bump showing a little bit, and he started to notice, can you imagine how much that would crush him in that moment to realize what had happened? He was looking forward to spending the rest of his life with this woman, and now she's pregnant? And he starts considering the different aspects of this, and, and he can figure it out. He knows that he's never been with her, and he knows what it takes to make a baby, and There's only really one logical explanation for this. She's been unfaithful to him. Now, I know in the text right here it says from the Holy Spirit, but I think Matthew's putting that in there for our benefit so that we know that. You remember this last week when the angel came to Mary in the book of Luke. He makes it very clear what's going to happen. But I don't think Joseph knows this yet. And so Joseph realizes the only thing that must have happened is she has been unfaithful to him. She has betrayed their marriage vows. He's got a a decision to make. What is he going to do about this marriage? What is he going to do about what Mary has done? We see something of Joseph's character next. Because it says here, Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. There's two important things you need to know about Joseph. Number one, he's a just man. He's a righteous man. He recognizes that it would be wrong for him to marry a woman like this. A woman that's been unfaithful. Before they even come together, she's been unfaithful to him. It would be wrong for him to marry her. And yet, apparently he still cares about her. There's still some kindness and compassion in his heart for her because he doesn't want to put her to shame. He doesn't want to make a public spectacle of her. He doesn't want to tell everybody, look at what she's done and call for her execution even. He he wants to do it quietly. And as it says here, he's going to divorce her quietly. Like I said earlier, this is a legal thing. He has to legally get a divorce from her. But he wants to do it quietly. It says he resolved to divorce her quietly. And yet, it would seem as though he hasn't totally made up his mind yet. He's still considering, he's still thinking about this. And so he decides to sleep on it. It says in verse 20, But as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. So as he sleeps, he gets a vision of an angel. And what's the first thing that the angel says to him? It's the same thing that the angel always says to people. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And we kind of make a joke about it like angels must have been scary or something because the first thing they always have to say is do not be afraid. And the angel does say that here. And yet, notice, it's different. The angel isn't saying, don't be afraid of me, like usual, and maybe that's because it was in a dream, so it wasn't quite so frightening, but he says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, I hadn't picked that up earlier reading through this, but apparently Joseph is fearful. He's afraid to take Mary as his wife, and you have to wonder, what was that fear? Was it a fear of God, or was it a fear of man? That fear of man makes sense. He's afraid of what other people are going to think about him. If he takes Mary as his wife, he's he's also saying that that child child is his and he'll be grouped in with her shame and people are going to go, oh, Joseph, I guess you're not that righteous after all. And so it makes sense. He would be afraid of what other people would think of him if he did take Mary as his wife. But is there also something of the fear of God in him, a healthy fear of God? That he wants to honor and respect God and so he knows that it's not right for him to take this unfaithful woman, this woman that's betrayed him. It's not right before God for him to take her as his wife. We don't know exactly what Joseph is thinking, but the angel answers both of these fears. First of all, by saying, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Remember, Joseph didn't have this fact yet and this is important for the story. Basically, the angel says, she hasn't been unfaithful to you. Don't worry about your fear of God. You you, you can continue on with that, honor God, respect God, but that doesn't conflict with you taking Mary as your wife because she hasn't been unfaithful to you. So the fear of God is okay, but what about that fear of man? What about the fear of what will other people think of me if I take this woman as my wife? Because that's still there. There's no guarantee that that won't happen. Well, that's answered with that next verse, verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. The identity of this child is revealed. It's not just a special conception, a special circumstance in which this child will be born. It's also an extraordinary child that has come to be the Savior of God the world. And that truth of who that child is outweighs any of the consequences of ridicule in Joseph's life. Who cares what people think of him when he has the opportunity, the privilege to raise, to be the adopted father of the Son of God? Not only that, not only the identity of this child, but also his own identity. The angel started out by saying, Joseph, son of David, And if you look back at the genealogy that we have here, you'll notice that Joseph's father was not named David. Joseph's grandfather was not named David. So why does the angel say Joseph's son of David? Well, this connects all the way back to King David. Joseph is a direct descendant in line from King David, of whom it was said that one day there would come from him a messianic king, a savior king who would rule forever. And Joseph now gets to be a part of that. Joseph gets to raise up that descendant of David to be the king on the throne forever. The facts of who this child is and who Joseph is outweigh any consequences for taking Mary and raising this child. Because he's going to have that great privilege of being the adopted father of the Savior of the world. There's an important thing with this prophecy next that I just want to point out real briefly. Because one of the questions that comes up that I've had people ask me going through this passage, how did Joseph know that this dream was legitimate? It's, isn't it just a dream? What if he had some bad pizza the night before and, you know, you get some of those weird dreams sometimes? How does he know that this is true? And I think it was probably significant enough that he could tell this was the real deal. But the angel also appeals to scripture points back to Isaiah chapter 7 where it was said that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's who this child is going to be. And they didn't understand it all the way back then when it was first prophesied, but now the full understanding of it comes forth. And Joseph can see that this is true because of the appeal to Scripture. So if we take a step back and look at the kind of what's going on here, this is important because Joseph, we we, we need to be fair to Joseph. Initially, this decision that he's making to divorce Mary, you could argue that he's making the right decision based on the facts that he has. The information that he knows leads him to make that decision. And yet the problem is he doesn't have all the facts. And so the angel first starts by addressing his fear. Is he afraid, afraid of what other people will think? Is it a healthy fear of God? Either way, Joseph needs more information. And so the angel lays out the facts. She hasn't been unfaithful to you, and this child is going to be so special that the consequences, the ridicule, who cares about that compared to raising this son? God is doing something bigger here than you can imagine. So he gets the facts, and now he's got a choice. He's got a decision before him. What is Joseph going to do? And this is my favorite part of the passage. It says here in verse 24, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did Those two simple little words there, he did. He doesn't have to think about it anymore. He doesn't have to consider anymore. He just does. He does the next right thing. There was actually two things that he was told to do, to take Mary as his wife and to call the name of the child Jesus. And we see here that he does both of those things. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph does the next right thing. He overcomes fear, and he does the right thing. But it's important to notice here that this is not the easy thing. He was still going to face ridicule and shame. And not to mention the fact that he's just been given the immense responsibility of raising the Son of God. Can you imagine what that would feel like? This is not the easy choice, but it's the right choice, and Joseph takes it. It's not unlike a choice his adopted son would face one day in the future, sitting in the garden of Gethsemane, facing death on a cross for the sins of humanity, facing separation from his heavenly Father. And he would pray in that garden, Lord, if it is your will, take this cut from me. Is there any other way for this to work? But he submits to the Father and he says, not my will, but your will be As Jesus considers the reality of the situation, he decides that his love for us outweighs any fear of suffering or separation from God. And so, just as Joseph did, Jesus died. He died on the cross for our sins that very next day. And it wasn't the easy choice. In fact, you could argue that this was the hardest thing that anyone has ever done in the history of the world. But he did it because he loved us. And that's the beauty that this passage points us to. All those years before, because Joseph took responsibility, because he listened to what the angel said, and he raised this child, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And it's because of his sacrifice on the cross for our sins that we now have the opportunity to live a new life in him. That new life in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, leaves us faced with a lot of decisions in our life. Will you choose to follow Jesus? Will you choose the fear of God over the fear of man? Will you choose to do the right thing? Now it's important to mention that all of these choices are because we are saved, not in order to earn our salvation. This passage points us to the beauty of the gospel, and that's really really important that we talk about that today, but I also want to get just really practical. OK, what does this mean for me today? How does this relate to my day-to-day life? We can learn something from the way that Joseph made a decision there. We can learn something from this process that God, that the angel took him through in making the right choice in our own decision-making in our own life. Now we have to start by recognizing that we are in Christ, that we are righteous because of what Jesus has done. For us, We have to remember who we are in Christ. And then, number one, we have to face our fears. What are you afraid of? Is it a healthy fear and respect and honor towards God? Or are you afraid of what other people are going to think about you? Whenever you're faced with a decision, you have to consider that. Do I care more about what people think about me or about honoring God? Then the next thing we need to do is consider the facts. What is the reality? What is the truth of the situation? And sometimes we find ourselves feeling like we don't know enough information. And when you feel that way, pray. I mean, pray anyways, but but pray that God would give you insight, that he would give you understanding, that he would reveal anything to you that you need to know to make the right decision. And then also consult scripture. Just as Joseph was able to reach back and look at Isaiah chapter 7, so we should consult scripture as we make decisions in our lives as well. And then finally, do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. And I want to thank the Martin family for that phrase right there. They use it on a regular basis, and I want to use that as well. It's, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. What's the next right thing that I need to do? Even if it's hard, it's so much better to do God's will than to do our own will. So just to recap that, we have to remember who we are in Christ, and then we fear God over man. We consider all of the facts. We pray about it. We consult scripture. And then finally, we do the next right thing. And I will tell you that this will work in all sorts of circumstances in your life. When you're standing in the frozen aisle at the grocery store deciding which ice cream to buy, this can help you with that. When you're deciding to buy a house, this can help you with that. When you're deciding to ask someone to marry you, or when you're deciding if you should say yes or not, this can help you with that. And the ice cream one started out as a joke originally, but then I actually thought through it, and it worked. So it, it literally does work in any circumstance in your life. When you're looking to make a godly decision, take it through those things. What are you afraid of? What are the facts? Pray, consult scripture, and then do the next right thing. The most important decision. Some of you have already decided this. but There might be some of you here today that have not made this decision yet. And yes, this is the most important decision of your life. Will you choose to follow Jesus? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of what other people are going to think about you? Are you afraid of of giving your life to this thing? Because I promise you it will cost you everything. Or if there is really a God, will you fear and honor and respect Him and seek to follow Him with your whole life? Consider the facts. Consider not only the historical proof of the resurrection. Consider what the Bible says about this. Also consider what your family and friends think. Consider those that do believe. Why do they believe what they believe? Read God's word. And then, do the next right thing. And I know I'm a little bit biased here, but I think the next right thing for you to do would be to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. To believe that Jesus did die on the cross for your sins and rose to new life. Maybe that's the decision you need to make today, and I'm putting that before you. Consider that. For the rest of you, you still have a decision before you this time of year. Just like Rod Stark faced that decision at Christmas time, what's more important, the presence or the still relevant birth of this child 2,000 years ago? That's a decision you have to make, and I encourage you to run it through these things. What are you afraid of? Consider the facts and then do the next right thing. I can't make this decision for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life with you. Lord, I thank you that the kids were... The kids brought that message to us this morning, that beautiful message of the gospel and the truth of it. Lord, I thank you that we have your word which tells us it and reminds us of it every day. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that has not made that decision to follow you, that they would make that decision today. That they would not fear man, not fear what other people think. They would consider the truth of your word and they would do the next right thing and believe in you. God, I pray for all of us here that do believe. God, I pray that especially this Christmas season as we are constantly distracted with the cares of this world, with all of the the consumerism and the focus on all sorts of other things at Christmas time, Lord, I pray that you would remind us what it's really all about, that it's about the celebration of this child that came and was born to die. Lord, remind us of that today and help us to follow you with our whole hearts. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.